0: This is Travel Wise, the travel podcast for growth hungry entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore travel, continuous learning, and the psychology of flow. Ready for takeoff? Ask me why. This is a special episode of the Travel Wise podcast. I invited Jess to join us today to talk about purposeful travel. And purposeful travel is in alignment with our philosophy here at the Travel Wise podcast. But I discovered that her reason for being an advocate and expert in purposeful travel derives from a personal story Of how travel was essential to her healing process in grief. So I just want to let you hear it from Jess as she shares her story in her own words.
1: I am trying to bring awareness to what purposeful travel is I know Mm -hmm. that everybody has an idea in their mind of traveling for a business trip or a family vacation, but I think that there are so many other avenues that people can use to use travel to heal. And I think my story is sort of a testimony to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was married and my ex-husband and I had been friends since nursery school. Uh, We got married when I graduated from college and I was having health problems and I had had to have my uterus removed when I was 21 due to endometriosis Mm -hmm. and adenomyosis, which is sort of It's kind of like endometriosis inside the lining of your uterus. And so it causes internal bleeding and scar tissue and can affect your fertility. And I thought that it was really important for me to have biological children. So I had my uterus out first. And then when I was older, a couple years later, I had my ovaries out. So before I did that, my ex-husband and I did an IVF cycle, which is in vitro fertilization, and we froze embryos. And then when I was feeling healthier, we transferred them into his cousin who has had successful pregnancies and she carried um, pregnancy for us. We were actually pregnant with triplets a little girl and two boys and unfortunately early on in the pregnancy around four months we lost the little girl and we wanted to do everything that we could to keep the rest of the pregnancy healthy so our carrier was eating healthy exercising taking care of herself Unfortunately, at about six months, she started going into preterm labor. And by the time we got to the hospital, they had done something called a cerclage, which is where they sew up the cervix to prevent the babies from coming out. Um, They also had inverted her. So there was a special hospital bed where um, our carrier laid sort of upside down to defy gravity. And then we also had given um, our twins, Ben and Jack, some steroids to get their lungs more developed. Um, Even though medical technology is amazing, um, this had happened in 2006. So next week will be 15 years since all of this had happened, but we were unable to stop the contractions. And um, our carrier went into full labor and delivery and delivered our twins um, at six months gestation. Uh, Ben was born first and he was one pound, seven ounces and Jack was born a couple minutes later and he was one pound, four ounces. Um, We knew that they would not survive and so we decided against medical intervention and it was really emotional being in the hospital room with her while she was delivering and dealing with the emotions of this. I took Ben and Jack and took them from their individual blankets and wrapped them together and just held them and loved on them. And they lived for two hours and then they passed away in my arms. And it was heartbreaking. Um, One of the other challenging components of our story Um, which contributes to why travel is so important to me is um, the nurses didn't handle the situation well as far as removing the twins um, from the hospital room. So uh, I think a lot of people maybe are familiar with um, a big plastic container that you have sidewalk chalk in or a big container of um, powdered laundry detergent Basically, the nurse took Ben and Jack, squished them in that plastic container, put the lid on and walked away. And she was not very kind or compassionate about the situation and sort of implied that they were better off dead. So for a long time, I struggled with post-traumatic stress disorder from how the hospital handled the situation. And about, let's see, three, it took me about three years to get to the point where I could do a celebration of life for them. And what I found was there's not a lot out there as far as celebrations of life, funerals for children and things like that. So I started taking classes on um, becoming sort of what's called the life cycle celebrant and learned about the death process and grieving and decided to write my own service and lead it. And it was a beautiful event. I did have um, Ben and Jack cremated um, and I kept their ashes and I ended up traveling with them to different places that were important to me and spread them. Um, But I also had a marker at the cemetery. Uh, So it was about two or three years till we had the uh, service at the cemetery. And then I knew that I still wanted to do something else. I mean, I had, I'm from the San Francisco Bay area. I live in Montana now, but, so I spread some of their ashes by the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, which was near ashes that my grandfather, where we had spread his ashes. Uh, I had put some in Hermosa Beach, which is where my best friend and godson live. He actually, his name, um, he goes by Cole, but his name is Benjamin Cole. So named after one of my twins. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I wanted to do something else with the rest of their ashes, but I wasn't ready. I felt that when I was getting rid of all their ashes, that I was sort of saying goodbye to them and I wasn't ready to do that. Um, So... I was fortunate enough to grow up going to Hawaii every year with my family. There were usually between uh, 10 and 18 of us. So it was my family, my sister, you know, my parents, their siblings, their kids. And it was this wonderful tradition that we had every year. And Hawaii was just a really beautiful place. And I always felt really um, at peace there. And I decided that when it had been five years that it was time um, for me to spread the rest of their ashes. And so I went to Hawaii and I found um, a traditional Hawaiian healer and shaman and we did a traditional ash scattering. So we blew the conch shell and then we paddled out um, to the ocean, and the ashes were um, in a beautiful box with flowers that we kept on the surfboard while we paddled out, and it was a really beautiful experience. I did this by myself. Um, I felt that it was just something that I needed to do for myself, and what I found throughout the process of losing children, is that unfortunately death makes people uncomfortable. And even though I didn't intentionally do anything or say anything to make people feel uncomfortable, they were just naturally uncomfortable around me because they knew the grief that I was going through. And so I was nervous about going on a trip on myself to do something like this, um, but it, proved to me how strong i was and how therapeutic this experience was and then i looked at hawaii at a whole different level because not only was it a place that had you know provided so many memories growing up it was a place that i truly felt was home to me because you know my children had had their ashes spread there And that's sort of what started the idea of me traveling for other reasons. Um, I knew that, you know, I'd worked for companies that people would go on corporate business trips or family vacations. Um, But I always felt that for me, you know, you never know what's going to happen and how short life is. And so I really wanted to be involved in creating memories and experiences for people. And I did a lot of work in hospitality and restaurants specifically because I felt that eating um, was something that brought people together no matter what socioeconomic status you are, what race, what gender, what religion. If you look along history you see that anytime there's an event that people are together there's usually food whether or not it's a wedding a funeral a celebration an engagement party you know um if you get a promotion at work what do you do you go celebrate with your favorite meal and so that's sort of what started um me being involved in hospitality and creating memories for people. Um, And I loved it. And I loved being a part of it. Uh, Ironically, um, well, I don't know if it's ironic or not, but we ended up um, having an opportunity to travel um, across the country during a pandemic for another exciting uh, experience. And that was um, to adopt our second daughter. Um, and this I also did by myself because we were in the pandemic. Um, my husband is an essential worker and we had, uh, she's now five, but she was in school at the time. And it was really you know, important for her development to be around other kids and things like that Um, so as I said we're in Montana and we had decided that you know a couple years ago we decided we wanted to adopt a second child our first daughter is also adopted from birth and the process had been really hard and we had waited you know a couple years and Then we had um, two really bad, badly failed adoptions. Um, In the adoption world, that's called disruptions. Uh, Basically, we were chosen and spent time with the birth mother. Uh, One of the birth mothers actually didn't let us know that the child was born and I found out on social media and when i reached out to her i had found out that the baby had been born 13 days prior uh, and was born addicted to drugs and in the NICU and by the time we ended up reaching the birth mother the baby was going to be discharged and because the adoption plan uh didn't get completed because she was using and going into labor earlier than anticipated. Um, Since there was no adoption plan technically in place, we were not able to foster to adopt across state lines. So unfortunately, that child ended up in the foster care system and is still there. And then we had another situation with a baby where we were one of two families that were to be chosen and the birth mom, uh, she had always planned on placing a baby for adoption. Um, but she ended up going into labor early, also connected to drug use and, We were called on a Sunday and said we need to give an answer within a half an hour if we want to be presented and then be prepared to fly to California from Montana the next day to be able to get the baby. And the birth mom had asked her mom to adopt the baby and her mom said no, was giving her tough love, said, you know, you are using... And this isn't the life that we had envisioned for anybody. And we would really like you to pick one of these two families. And basically the birth mom, she used expletives to her mother, but basically told her to bleep off and that the mom didn't care what happened to the baby and let the baby go into foster care. So you know, to hear that we weren't picked was hard enough as it is, but then to hear that the child was in foster care was really sad to us. Um So we felt that maybe this was a sign from the universe that we, you know, we have one healthy child and that maybe we're supposed to be one and done. And that was it. And we packed up our nursery, put everything away, and then... About a month or two later, we got a call um, from um, basically, it was an attorney who worked with uh, a consultant, an adoption consultant, and they had heard about our file. And they told us that there was a birth mother who was going to be delivering. And, you know, it would be the end of April. This was in March. We got the call on March 15th and um, that we had gotten picked and did we want to go and this was the beginning of the pandemic so we didn't feel that it was a safe time to be traveling cross-country but we also you know didn't want to resent each other my husband and I for not going and trying and it was really a testimony to what we do as parents, you know, to complete your family. So my husband and daughter stayed in Montana. Um, We ended up getting a call a day or two later that the due date was wrong because she didn't have medical care and that she was going to be due in, you know, a week or two. So I flew cross country during the pandemic. Um, I went straight to a hotel and basically did not leave the hotel at all. Um, I met the birth mom. She was great. I was able to go to a doctor appointment with her. And then a couple days later, I got the call that she had gone into labor. What had happened was she had waited too long and ended up calling an ambulance. And so she went to the hospital that was closest. So if you have an emergency and an ambulance comes, they take you to the closest hospital. So they did not take her to the hospital where the adoption plan was in place. Um, So we figured out everything and scrambled and finally got the adoption paperwork over to the hospital. And I had gotten to the hospital maybe 35 minutes from the time that she called me and I walked in to see the birth mom and see how she was doing and she was asleep which I was a little confused by and I look over and our daughter Willow had been born and things didn't seem exactly quite right and um you know, I finally woke up the birth mom and I asked her, I said, you know, is there anything I need to know about the baby? Because at that point the hospital hadn't received the adoption paperwork and they wouldn't give me any information. They did let me know that both the birth mom and the baby had tested positive for drugs. And, um, you know, I said like, we're here to support you and that's okay, we'll figure it out. I just need you to be honest with me. So she did and um, I was the first person to hold Willow. And the doctors knew how important it was for me to do skin to skin with Willow and to do as many feedings as possible. So even though the hospital was essentially closed, they let me sleep in the doctor on call room so I could be at the hospital 24 seven to spend as much time with our daughter as possible. And then a couple hours later, I was in the nursery and all of a sudden I look out the window and I see three police officers and a social worker. They came in, asked everybody else to leave the nursery. I was essentially, I did not have a shirt on. I was doing skin to skin with the baby, covering with a blanket. Everyone's wearing masks, so it's really hard to gauge. Basically, they wanted to interview me to make sure that I really did know the birth mother. And they unfortunately let me know that because the birth mom and the baby had tested positive for drugs, that if the birth mom does not sign the adoption papers, then the baby will go into foster care and we will not be able to foster to adopt because of state line issues again. So here I am across the country by myself and I'm trying to navigate this the best that I can. It was a challenging few days and the birth mom did end up signing the adoption papers So we went back to the hotel and quarantined there for a couple more days. Uh, The entire state of Florida was getting shut down. They were gonna close airports and things like that. So even before our adoption papers had arrived in Montana, I actually flew with Willow when she was only four days old because it was safer for me to be in Montana than it was to be in Florida. So luckily, a couple days after I had arrived back in Montana, the state of Montana received our adoption paperwork. But I did quarantine at a hotel in Montana for another two weeks before coming back home. So my husband and daughter did not get to meet Willow until she was a month old. But... That's another reason why travel is purposeful. So for me, it was a really beautiful experience to be able to travel to Hawaii and spread my twins' ashes and say goodbye to them. Well, physically, I was saying goodbye to their ashes. I mean, they're with me every day. And then to go full circle and have all those you know, traumatic experiences with failed adoptions to then be able to travel cross-country during a pandemic and then, you know, be able to have our complete family. And it really set in my mind, like, how therapeutic and beneficial travel can be for people. I don't necessarily know if people understand the like the emotional release that can happen when you do something that puts you out of your comfort zone or something that you wouldn't normally do. And then to be able to overcome that fear, I find that I'm so much stronger and I am proof that travel not only is purposeful but also can be so healing Um, because I was really able to close the door on one chapter and Ben and Jack you know taught me about unconditional love and they made me a mom and so I wouldn't be where I am today without them and I don't think I would have had that fight to go through all those years of the adoption process and risk rejection and heartbreak so many times. But I know that I'm strong and that, you know, I I also know that even though I've done some of these travel experiences by myself, that I'm not alone. When I was going to Florida, I was working for a company whose corporate headquarters were in Florida. And I was unable to get toilet paper. I was unable to get paper towels, cleaning supplies, masks, gloves, wipes, everything. And I reached out uh, to the company and let them know, like, hey, I'm here, this is the situation. And they reached out to all of the other travel agents that I was, you know, we were all independent business owners but the corporate office was based there. And the love and the support that I got from people that I had never met was incredible. I had somebody make, she sewed masks for all of the nurses and the doctors uh, at the hospital. I had somebody else who sent baby clothes and somebody else who sent wipes and hand sanitizer and then there was a woman who lives in Florida but she had lived in um, she lives in Miami and we were in a different part of Florida and she put together the most amazing care package for me and drove it you know like three hours to me. And I got to meet her, and she is now one of my closest friends. Even though she lives in Florida and I'm in Montana, bonding over an experience like that to have her be a part of it was so special. And it just reminds me that we all have this strength inside that we can do whatever we set our mind to, and that, you know, the path may be a little bit different, but that really anything is possible. And so I definitely look at traveling in such a different light now because it's given me strength and peace and it's made me more compassionate because I understand that People travel for all different reasons, and that we all, you know, everyone, no matter where you live or what your background is, we all just want to be happy and experience things together. And, you know, I can do something that's in Montana with somebody that's in another country because of the internet, and I can learn about their culture and you know, about community and what they're doing. And so I think a lot of times too, people think that traveling always costs a lot of money or that, you know, it's unattainable for a lot of people. I always urge people to take a staycation in their own town. Maybe go to a different cuisine of restaurant that you normally wouldn't eat. And you can learn about that culture or in your own home, you can watch a YouTube video on another country or listen to music from somewhere else. So you don't also need to physically necessarily transport yourself somewhere else. There's so many ways that we can learn about other cultures and communities just by staying in our own home. You know, I... A lot of people were questioning like, what are you doing traveling right now during a pandemic? And I know a couple of months ago, there was a lot of debate about, is the travel industry going to come back? And when is it gonna come back? That everyone sort of is itching to travel, but is it really safe to do so? Like emotionally, everyone was like, oh, I need to go on a vacation. Oh, I need to go here and do this. But it may not be safe, for everybody to travel. I know for myself, I'm immunocompromised. And so besides going to Florida to adopt our daughter during the pandemic, I did not leave the house. Of course, I'm like itching to travel, but there are ways that I can incorporate other cultures and community without having to leave my house. And so I think I just wanna remind people too that like, you don't need to have a lot of money to travel somewhere you know i could for example in montana drive 30 minutes and go somewhere else and it's completely different geography and or topography i don't know exactly what i'm trying to say but you know i think we're really fortunate that with media and the internet and things like that that we have a lot more at our fingertips, you know, people were doing virtual tours of museums in other countries. So I just want to sort of remind people that like it's not unattainable and that there are things that you can do to experience other cultures and really create what you're looking for without even needing to leave your home. So. That's sort of like why for me, travel is purposeful. And I just want to remind people that the world is big and there's a lot of reasons that we do things. And as long as it's like resonates with you and stays true to you, you know, then you can do it. Like I was viewed as crazy for like flying to another state to bury my children and do a traditional ash scattering when I'm not even Hawaiian or traveling cross country during a pandemic to adopt a child. I think unless you've lived in somebody else's shoes, it's very easy to judge what somebody else does. But until you go through it, you're the one that knows your truth and you don't have to explain what you're doing to anybody.
0: Thank you. So can you tell us more, for someone who perhaps is going through a really difficult time right now and is thinking about traveling, purposeful traveling as a way to heal, what are the first steps or the process to actually have a a travel experience that would really meet their individualized needs? How does one go about putting that together? Sure.
1: So for me, one of the things I did when I was first traveling, let's say, so when I was dealing with the loss of Ben and Jack, I joined international or, you know, just uh, organizations that were supporting mothers who lost their children. Learning about how other cultures or different people handled that made me feel that I wasn't alone. So I chose to then look up, you know, support groups where I was going to be able to meet with other uh, moms who have gone through the same thing and talking to different people around the world. You know, we're all the same and we're all experiencing the same traumatic events. And so to number one, just understand that you're not alone. That if it's, for example, a death-related thing, we know that there's no timeline on grief and that everybody handles things differently. Some people are in denial. Some people are angry. Some people uh, laugh all the time. Just understanding when you're doing some sort of purposeful travel For me, it was a practice in not caring what other people thought, which is always hard for me because I am by nature a people pleaser and it mattered to me what people thought. And I also didn't wanna keep my mouth shut because I felt that what I was doing could probably help other people as well. So it's personal preference is to whether or not you want to disclose why you're traveling, you know, you may not want to say, I'm going somewhere else to do this. And that's totally up to you. Just honor your body and your mind and know that what you're doing is for yourself and it doesn't matter what other people think. And then I think it's important to just write a pro and con list of what type of experience you're looking for. So I usually do it on a whiteboard, but a lot of people, you know, pen to paper is really therapeutic to write. But I urge people to be really honest if they can, as honest as possible with their pros and cons. And so what they may think is a pro maybe a con to somebody else, but write it down and be matter of fact. And then that will help you navigate what kind of trip you're looking for. You know, do you want to be by yourself? Do you want to be with other people? Do you want to be in a religious environment or do you want to be out in nature? You know, the other cool thing about traveling is that what's, peaceful and brings joy to one person may be completely different for somebody else. So for me, I find peace, you know, at the ocean or in nature, in a forest, right? So for me, I love the bamboo forest in Hawaii. But for somebody else, it may be sitting in a church with stained glass, for example. So It's important that you're as honest as possible with what goals you're trying to accomplish. And knowing that I didn't want to pay attention to what other people thought gave me this inner confidence and strength that I didn't know that I had.
0: I love how Jess mentions The inner strength and confidence that emerges because of purposeful travel. It's certainly a theme that we've seen come up again and again here on this show. That when you pursue travel that is aligned with your deepest values, goals, and needs, that you are challenging yourself, pushing yourself literally out of your comfort zone, and that that can produce not only growth and self-development, but perhaps also even healing from some of life's worst tragedies. This episode may be done, but you can always find more travel ideas and opportunities at Delve Travel. Just visit Delftravel.com. The adventure continues. Ask me why.